Would you give a very warm Connect Church welcome to Andy Rotz? Thank you. Thanks so much. I think I'm on. Am I on now? All right. Wonderful. Thanks so much just for allowing me to come and share. The interesting thing is the last time I was back in the U.S., this church did not exist. I mean, we've been gone in Moldova and just returned a few months ago back to the U.S. So it's always it's interesting coming back to join a church that is brand new to me also. I have a beautiful wife, three fantastic girls. I actually, there they are. I am a very blessed man. So God has given me a great Great wife, three fantastic girls. Time has flown by. I now have a 15-year-old, almost 16, in about two weeks, a 12- and a 10-year-old. My kids have now spent more years in Moldova than they have in America, and they love it. We, as, as Russ mentioned, we pastored in Harleton for a lot of years. Really loved, loved the area there. It's interesting how I always get the same two questions. Where in the world is Moldova? Why did you go there? Okay, So I'll kind of teach you a little bit of that first. Moldova is... The former Soviet Union. Go to Romania, take a sharp right, okay? That's it. And then you'll hit us. Tiny, small little country. Montana is probably 15 times bigger than Mon- the whole nation of Moldova, okay? When I tell people there, they, and I say, in, yeah, in Montana, we have less than a million people, they always go, what do they do with all that space? I mean, they just can't figure that out. And there's so many of them crammed into that little area. Moldova is Moldova's a really broken country. When the Soviet Union fell apart... One guy, the best line, he says, Moldova got the short end of the stick, not that it was a very big stick to begin with. And it is a broken country. It really is. The poorest country in all of Europe. Uh, Really a lot of heartache there. One of the things I've noticed is that it has a World Health Organization listed as the highest alcohol consumption per capita of any nation in the world. They drink more liquor than any of these places. I mean, and it's, it's evident of what you see. The second one was in Time magazine about three years ago. They listed Moldova as the unhappiest country in the world. I think it'd make a great bumper sticker, too much happiness, too much joy, come to Moldova and we'll suck you dry. I mean, that's, it's, it's life. Uh, you know, but both those things, really what they are is they're indicative of a spiritual lostness. People do not have hope for a better future. They don't think anything can get better. We went there, really, I guess because God called us there. It's not my dream or my plan in life to go there. Uh, any of my friends who found out I was going to Moldova, the first question was, is there hunting there? And I said, no, there's no hunting. Oh, God must have really called you there. I mean, I like the outdoors. I, I like the crazy mountains. I love, I love the outdoors and deer and elk and just hiking, all that stuff. It started probably, we were pastoring in Harleton, happy. Church has been growing. We had wonderful things going on there. And I came home from a mission service one day and said to Nancy, I wonder if God is calling us into missions. This is that little stirring in my heart. She looked at me with these big eyes like, what are you talking about? And so it started us on a path of us praying about it, probably two or three months. I remember, it probably was three months later, I was praying, God, just give me an answer. Is this really you calling us into missions or just some bad pepperoni pizza from the night before, you know, type of feeling? And um, I was at the church sanctuary early one morning, pacing back and forth, and I had my Bible open, and I was, looked at it, and it was, I read the passage where people give Jesus excuses. You know that one. Lord, I got some new oxen. I can't follow you yet. Another man said, my father just died. Let me go back and bury him. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. And it's like right at that instant, God spoke to me and said, Andy, quit making excuses. We all are good with excuses, right? used to be the dog at my homework. Now it's the computer crashed. I mean, we can think of excuses all the time. Called my parents a couple hours later and talked to my dad and said, Dad, I don't know, I just feel like maybe God is calling us into missions. And the very first words out of my dad's mouth were, Why don't you wait until I'm dead first? Okay, I'm not exaggerating it. There was a Twilight Zone music going in the background. I just read those words. You know, where was that? Um, so we began to pray about where. I mean, I knew at that point, okay, God, I get the hint. 
And so we prayed about where, asked questions about everything from Albania to Ukraine to Poland, every, that area of the world we just had a heart for. First time I ever heard of Moldova, Nancy said, well, we're not going there. I've never even heard of that country before. So we hadn't heard of it either. And it was one night, middle of the night, I had a dream and pictured myself standing before a group of people like this. And I heard myself say, we are so excited to be your missionaries to Moldova in this dream. And I stopped and went, Moldova? And the voice coming back to me was Moldova. Moldova, 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 Moldova. And God and I had this little conversation back and forth, of one word, Moldova, until I said, okay, God, we'll go to Moldova. And that was 3.45 in the morning, September 19th, 2001. And you're, gonna, you're seeing some of the photos that I've taken over the years of Moldova. And um, woke Nancy that night and said, Nancy, the only place we need to go is Moldova. And she said, oh, I could have told you that six weeks ago. Rolled back over and went back to sleep. So she already knew we were supposed to go to Moldova. And so we've moved there. You're going to see our beautiful country. It's broken. It's hard. And this is my life. It's what we love to do. And I kind of wanted to give you a little visual of what it also looks like. It really is like going back in time. And a lot of times there's still, most of the hayfields are still cut with a sigh, still raked by hand, still forked onto a wagon. They still um, work all, I mean, I watched them, 400, 500 acre fields going up and down with a hoe in between the rows of corn. It's a hard, backbreaking country. But the lostness is what really is there. You'll see even on my, please take a look at my photo book afterwards. You can just see some things. And grab a card, please do. Grab a card and be praying for us. And if you want to get a newsletter, you're welcome to do it. Just sign up. But we just want to keep you in contact for this. We went there with really with a dream. I thought I'm going to work with churches. We're going to plant churches. I really believe the church is still the last, you know, the greatest hope for the country. And we were only in the country probably two weeks. When Nancy met a woman downtown in the center of Chisinau, the capital city, and the lady said, oh, you're with the church. What is the church going to do about trafficking? And Nancy's first thought was, yeah, that's right. Why is the church not doing anything about trafficking? If you do much research about Moldova, Moldova is one of the highest source countries for girls that are trafficked into prostitution. So the girls leave Moldova thinking they're going for a work, thinking they're going for a job. When they get there, they find themselves taken, uh, locked in apartments. Horrendous things happen to them until their spirits are broken, forced to stand on the streets in a multitude of countries around this world, prostituted. It is nobody's choice. It's nobody's desire. And they come back to Moldova broken. Post-traumatic stress is worse than a prisoner of war. And when Nancy was encountered with that, it started us along an entire journey. The day happened when God spoke to Nancy and said, you are the church. Nobody else is going to do it. Five, six years ago, we made the decision that we were going to open an aftercare home for women who have been trafficked. They didn't have any place. They're just lost, and they come back to Moldova. And we opened Freedom Home. That's what it's called right now. Three and a half years ago was when the first women came in. It took me two years, probably a year and a half to raise the money, two years to build the project. I mean, this is a long process of what we're working on. Three and a half years ago, we opened the doors, and the first women came in. And probably for the first year, every night I would lay down in bed and say, Nancy, tell me, why are we doing this again? This is so hard. I broke up fistfights at midnight, all in Russian and Romanian. You're going, what's going on? And the stress that was there. But I want to, there's a little verse I want to read to you, and it's in Jeremiah 29. Most of you probably know it, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay, if you could say to God, God, here, let me just lay out for you your plans of prosperity for my life. What would it be? You know, for some people, it'd be sitting on a sunny beach, cool lemonade in your hand every day, you know, listening to the water lap up. 
Some of us who are smarter would say on top of a mountain with a six-point bull elk right below us bugling. I mean, that would be God's plans of prosperity for my life. Some other people would say every time they walk in a department store, there's a 95% off sale. I mean, that is God prosper me with that. But I want to say to you that God's plans of prosperity, prosperity look very different than what we think. We opened Freedom Home, and I have lost a lot of sleep. I've lost a lot of uh, hair. <laughs> I've lost a lot of stress. I've cried blood, sweat, and tears building the home, working with the women there. But I'm richer now because of that commitment. Amen. See, God's plans of prosperity will not just be for your comfort. They are for your, to stretch you, to move you, and to change you. God has a plan of prosperity for your life. And it is a plan that you will not be the same. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We, we just love making plans for God. And some of them, I'm going to share a few stories. One of them is a girl I'll call Amy. Amy's at the home. She came to us really, right, almost right at the beginning. Tiny little girl. I think she wears a size zero dress. Uh, Amy's story really started probably even before she was 15, but the big jump happened at about 15-ish when her mother, her mother sold her to somebody, uh, forced her to the streets of Moscow. And in Moscow, she was forced to beg every night and every day. If she did not bring enough money back, the place they kept her, she was beaten and raped every night. That was the first steps. As a 15, 16-year-old, out of that came a little girl, and we found her back in Malova. I didn't even know how she ended up back there, but she was passed out drunk behind a bus stop, her one-year-old was laying on the ground, sitting on the ground next to her, playing on the ground. People called us and said, hey, could you take this girl? We want to take the baby and put her in an orphanage. But we said, no, we'll only take them together. And Amy and little Veronica came into the home. Boy, she was a mess. And her eyes were like, you know those dogs, that get street dogs, they get kicked all the time? You know that dog, always nervous, it's going to get kicked. And there was no life. Her soul had been killed. She didn't take care of her baby. I mean, we didn't... They wouldn't put pampers on her. They decided we can't put diapers on her. Nancy said to the staff, why are you not putting diapers on her? Well, I said if we did, she would never change the diaper. She would just let it sit in there all day. This way, if she wets, she has to go up and change her clothes. Okay, we got it. We're trying to work with this girl of how she could be a mom. She asked a little bit later, why does Nika love all the staff better than she loves me? Well, it's because they show her love. Oh, okay. Little by little, she started to learn to love. I remember the day months after we were in the home. She accepted Christ as her Savior. Now, you saw life come back in her eyes. These are some of the girls at the home. Um, Something happened and her soul was resurrected. But just because you accept Christ, does that mean all your problems go away? Never, right? So we would see her and she'd come in and she was just busted and broken. But she accepted Christ. And boy, there was something that started on there. Probably another year later. She was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and we saw joy and smiles come back to her face again. But even then, it was still tough. There was a day last March, so not even a year ago. I remember we walked into the home, and it was like the old Amy was back. What's going on here? I said, well, every night, she hasn't been sleeping this all this week. Every time she lays down, she hears voices. It's like somebody was pulling on her arm, trying to say, leave this room. Come out on the terrace with me. You need to leave this place. I'm sure it was a demonic voice is what it was. And Nancy and I prayed a little bit that night and came back the next night and sat down and prayed with her. And we just said, Amy, do you want to be free? Yes, I want to be free. She's got this little childlike faith. I mean, she's illiterate still and doesn't know a lot from her trauma that she's faced in her life. But we sat and we prayed with her. 
We got done, and Nancy said, but this is only about 15 minutes. No fireworks, no voices or anything like that. Nancy said, what do you think, Amy? And she said, well, it's going to be okay. Oh, and why do you say that? Well, when you were praying, I opened my eyes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I opened my eyes, and God spoke to me. And he said, Amy, don't be afraid. The demon is gone. You'll sleep at night. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And, you know, God has changed her life. Now, it was, I gave you the abbreviated version, but all those times in between, those days in between, I thought, are we ever going to get through to this girl? Are we ever going to get through to her? Can we ever see change? Can we ever see transformation? One week ago, maybe even, yeah, about nine days ago, I was there at the home. Arrived at the home a week from Friday. Nancy, just, we just came back from over there right now, and we walked in there. Before the car had even parked, Amy ran out, grave Nancy the biggest hug in the world. You know, last time we left, she said, now remember, I'm your oldest daughter. <laughs> Nancy said, well, I think Tasha's older than you. Okay, well, I'm the second oldest daughter. And her little daughter right now is three years old. She is so smart. We see such a transformation. But it cost us a lot. But I am rich because of it. God's plans of prosperity are not always the way we want. You know, I'd rather lead an Elk Hunters Anonymous support group. I mean, that'd be a great thing for me. <laughs> Cow Punchers Anonymous or something like that. Super Bowl parties are fun. You know, I understand football and mountains. And, but God has a plan for prosperity. It is to change, change you. I mean, I'm not prepared for this, folks. I think I had a psych class once, you know, at college. I stayed awake for it. I know that. I passed it. You know, it is not my background. But God's plans will stretch you and move you. It's interesting ways that how God uses us all. We still love planning churches. I mean, that's one of the two big things. We have the two, the two main focuses, freedom home and church planning. I'll share a story about a church. There's a, a pastor up north, Vasily. We worked with him tremendously. We've done construction there, worked with him in outreaches in the village. And his story starts probably maybe even 20, 30 years before. 40 years probably before, now that I think about it. There was, his grandparents were the only two Christians in this entire county. Now, this was the Soviet Union days. So this was back when it was illegal to be a Christian. You couldn't share anything about your faith. So Vasi's grandparents were the only two Christians. His grandfather was brought into the police station, and they put pressure on him. Could you reject Christ, re, you know, renounce your faith? This is not, that's a cult, it's all wrong. He refused to do it. They put some kind of mark on the back of his coat, shoved him outside. The man outside, when they saw that, they beat him and kicked him so much that he was actually bedridden for two years. I have no idea how many bones were broken because they didn't do x-rays. Now I'm going to fast forward. Vasily's sharing this story. He says, I was a drunk. And now in Moldova, it's <laughs> they're drunk every day. And he was drunk and uh, he was a typical Moldovan. You go every day, get, drink a lot, work in the field, drink a lot, work in the field, drink a lot. And one day he walked up to this there was no Christians in the entire village. He walked up and he heard a service. A, a, a pastor had come into town and doing this, doing this evangelistic service, stood outside, and he's preaching, and he hears this, and God sobers him up just then, and he accepts Christ that day. Now, okay? Now, this is 30 years after his grandfather was beaten. Vasily is sharing this story because he says, nah, the story doesn't end there. He says, I, every day, for, it was, I was in the fall, and I couldn't get water baptized until the next spring, we're going to do it in a lake. And every day for the, between there and the baptism, when I would come home, my wife would ask to smell my breath because she did not believe I would not stop drinking. Now, I'm, they have two spices in Moldova, okay? Salt and garlic. And now they eat garlic by the pounds in Moldova. So that is quite a sacrifice to smell somebody's breath. Trust me on that one, okay? So they're going to smell this garlic-infested breath just to make sure he wasn't drinking. So next spring, he's going to get, he's going to get uh, baptized in water. The Orthodox priest in town 
riles up a bunch of men to go out there to break up this baptismal service. Says they're cult, they're going to poison the water, they, they kill children, all these kind of lies. And so as the church is out there to do a water baptism, this bus comes out with all these men to kind of disrupt it all. One of the men, get, one of the men gets off the bus and he decides, what's the best way to kind of break up a baptismal service? Well, it's to get in the lake without your clothes on. So I've always asked pastors, have you... Has anybody had a baptismal service with a naked guy jumping in the tank? You know, and nobody has yet done, said, yeah. Um, I mean, talk about a story. You would not want photos. I mean, that would make a great, a great history for you know, the church uh, his, historical records there. You know, a naked guy in the baptismal tank you know, trying to break it up. And you know, Dima, his name is, is there, and he, and he comes in, and he's trying to break it up. And the people in the church just said, hey, Dima, that's really nice, but would you just mind moving a little farther down the, the lake? Something starts on him that day, and he says, those people are not bad. They're kind of nice. Within, now, his marriage had been falling apart, and within six months, he and his wife, both of them, accept Christ. Now, let me jump over it, because Vasi told me his chunk of the story. Dima just told me his chunk of the story. Peter pipes up, and he says, well, to tell you the truth, I was the bus driver that took them all out there that day. And I saw Dima get saved, and this other guy, they were coming to Christ, and they'd come to my house, and they'd talk about Christ, and then they'd pray for the meal, and I'd, they'd like, you know, asking God to bless the meal. And I would look underneath the table. Who are they talking to? I mean, he had no idea what this was all about, even prayer. And he accepted Christ. So the th- four of us were sitting in the room as they sh- all shared their parts of this story. A very twisted story. A very strange plan of prosperity. Naked guy in a baptismal service, a drunk that gets sobered up, and the drunk bus driver, who I didn't mention, who was drunk every day he drove that bus. I mean, think of how God built a church. And we were sitting in a room it was right across the street from what used to be the police station where Vasi's grandfather was beaten for his faith. Now that is a plan of prosperity. It takes a very twisted path. God has brought you to a place right here today. I don't know what your journeys are in your past, but God has a plan of prosperity for your life. And God can take all those things that are so broken, and he wants to give you hope and a future. Some of the stories are not quite like uh, Amy's. We got one girl in there, Essie. Essie is in the home. Hers very non-typical. She is a pastor's daughter, second oldest child of a large family. Like any Moldovans, decided to go to Moscow to work. Went up there to work in a cafeteria, made some money, brought it back to help the family. Everybody's trying to survive, just trying to survive. Second time she went to Moscow, she a friend said, "Oh, I got a better job over here. Why don't you come over here and work?" And so they, her and her friend went there. And when they got there, men took her. They grabbed her and they took her outside. Um, when she screamed, I'm a virgin, they laughed and said, good, we'll get more money for you. They drugged her, put her in the forest during, night, uh, during the day, bring her out at night along the freeways outside of Moscow where she was forced to prostitute herself, 10 or 20 men every night. Captive, three times they ran away to the police. Three times the police brought her back. She got back to Moldova, and I remember sitting with this girl. And somehow the media got it, and they put it on the news. When she went back to the village, everybody in the village knew, and they all rejected her. Even the people in her church wouldn't talk to her, thinking she was a bad girl. Now, this is a girl who had her future destroyed. And Essie, I, man, I've, I've cried with Essie before. I think, this is my girl. She's 19. Um, you know, I love, I love the, every one of them. They're like my daughter's. I just think it's God's little twisted sense of humor. I'm a 
founding member of the Fathers of Female Support Group. Okay, I've got a wife, three girls, even our dogs are females. You know, and I'll, I'll confess, I still do not understand the female brain. I mean, I, I, I have no comprehension of this. So God, in his twisted sense of humor, says, Andy, there's not enough females in your life. Let's give you a whole home right now. And, you know, I come over there, and all I am, I'm just Uncle Andy, and I just, I'm a help, and I'm a love for these girls. And, you know, I sat with her. I would never be one of those, say, one of those stupid Christian platitudes of God's got a plan for your life, you know. But I sat with her and I said, you know, I don't know why all this happened. This world is an evil world. But I know that God can redeem you. A week ago Friday, I sat with Essie. We talked a long time. God is changing her life. In fact, when she first came in the home, she could never see past tomorrow. She thought she had no future. She thought her life was ruined. I'm soiled. I'm, I'm destroyed. I can be nothing. I could just have to survive today. And there, when I sat with her last Friday, God had done something so miraculous. And I said, you know, someday we're going to have to open another home in Odessa. You know that, or Istanbul. And I said, maybe you're going to have to be the director. She said, I'm not opposed to that. And she's studying today to be a counselor. You know, isn't that awesome what God can do? Now, we have hundreds of girls that are all broken. And, but I just want you to know that I don't, fight the issue of trafficking. We don't work with trafficked girls. We just work with people. They're just people. It's just Amy and Essie and Tasha and Tina. And when I look at their faces, boy, last week, Tina did this little dance, kind of a worship dance to a Russian worship song. And when I saw her face, I mean, I'm, I'm a good German Scandinavian. You know, I, bawling for me is when this tear just, just about gets there, you know. And I'm telling you, my eyes were welled up, and I couldn't help just think of seeing what God had done in her life. One year, God has changed her life. I am not always comfortable in Moldova. I really am not. There's so many things that I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with squatty potties. You know, when you go to the village, all there is is a squatty potty, and a squatty potty is just an outhouse with a hole in the floor, okay? You know, I'm not going to demonstrate, okay? But, it's, I mean, it's just there. It's not my joyous thing. Uh, most of the food is real great. But I know every wedding I'm going to get this thing called chaladets, which I call chicken fat jello. You know that congealed stuff on top of soup when you stick it in the fridge? That's all it is made of. And I just go, you know, you can eat my portion. You know, I'm not, I don't really like that. Um, I'm not, it hurts me to walk through some of these stories and listen to them and, and struggle. As I can share you the story of what God has done in their life, but the path before there was so tough. We've lost girls and you just, there's a hole in your heart from losing them. You know, a girl that I've cared so much for and she's so broken and a guy had proposed marriage to her. And Let's go to Istanbul to get married and when they got there, he sold her. And my heart just goes out and, I, and she's gone. She didn't stay to find real healing. And it's hard. It's really hard. But I want to tell you that the journey toward Christ, it, it is a risk of your heart. In fact, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I, I truly love and if I could just share it because he says it so well. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the cas- casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that cascus- casket, safe, dark, motionless and airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. I say that because as a church, 
it's a risk to offer your heart. I think there's something about missions, and I'm mentioning it here today. You know, we have got to have the spiritual discipline of missions within our churches as well. Because missions means I care for somebody who I will never see a personal benefit for. I, I believe in it. I believe in, I believe in the spiritual disciplines. I believe in tithe. How do I control? How do I break the control of money? I give part of it away. You know? How do I control my own self-centeredness? I give some to missions and myself included. Because I have to give my heart and risk it. If I stay at a distance, if I never risk my heart, but I challenge you to care so much for this world that you will risk your heart. God will lead you on a journey. He is not a safe God. <laughs> it is not always safe, uh, but He's good. That's another wonderful uh, C.S. Lewis quote in the Chronicles of Narnia, which I'm a fan of. Aslan is the symbol of Christ in these stories. And you, all, you can see it so clearly. But one person, when they first encountered Aslan, said, Oh, he's a lion? I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. <laughs> Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I say that because the journey of accepting Christ and following Christ is not safe. I do not want to tell you any lies that follow Christ and everything will be great. Everything will be wonderful. All the sails will be there. All the weather will be sunny. You know, your car will always start and always be full of gas. (laughs) But the journey is worth it. When you risk your heart, when you risk your heart to care for somebody like Amy, and I challenge you as a church, I need people to come alongside and say, I will be... I'll be a part of it there. I'll support you in prayer that I will say, God, if you wake me in the middle of night, I will give you these hours of sleep in prayer for Amy or Essie or Tasha and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Some of you say, hey, I will, I'll give above and beyond what I have given in resources. And I, I will give. You know, and Trust me, I don't want to always do this. I don't have, I've got to find $4,000 every month just to keep the ministry going and all the girls and all their education and all the staff and everything. Sometimes it's not comfortable for me. And I need people who give it their heart to say, I will make a difference in the lives of girls just like her. I'll be a part of areas in this community. And I'll minister to people that are broken, that sometimes throw it back in my face. God, lead us on the adventure of a lifetime. For I know the plans I have for you. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to stretch you. Plans to change you. Plans to never leave you the same. When we stand at a distance, we've never given it our heart. I encourage you as a church, step forward. Let your heart embrace the hurt in this world. Open your heart to the people around you, even with that risk. Let me just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus Christ, in the solemnness of this moment, I ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to lives here. Lord, I know there's some people here that are possibly still trapped in their past. And they cannot, they're still sitting like Essie did that first day. And they say, God, I know maybe you have a plan of prosperity, but I cannot see it because of all the baggage in my past that's holding me back. Their present is chained to the past. And maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's hurts. Maybe it's marriages that were broken. Maybe it's friends that betrayed them. Maybe it's loss and death or in sickness. 
But all that unforgiveness or all that hate and all that hurt is so deep within them. Lord, I pray right now that through your Holy Spirit, you may give them freedom. And Lord, I pray that you may stir all of us here, that our eyes and our heart may be changed and transformed. Lord, I ask that every person here may sense something within them. They'll say, God, bring me close to those that are hurting. Help me weep over this city as you wept over Jerusalem because you knew of their lostness. Lord, help me weep over the Amy's of this world, the hundreds and thousands that are still locked in apartments in Istanbul, sent to Dubai, or sitting on the highways outside of Moscow. Lord, I pray right now for every one of them that those little sheep will be brought home, they'll be rescued. And Lord, help us as a church to stand up in prayer in our voice and be united together. And Lord, help us to go and help us to give and help us to pray. Help us to give of ourselves. Lord, you know how I started into this. It was those girls, because I didn't know it. And I thought of those people and what they'd experienced. And I had compassion, Lord. But Lord, you have broken my heart because now I understand as you do. These are just my girls. And they're my friends, my spiritual daughters. And it's not an issue, it's just a person. So Lord, I pray that we may look beyond all the little surface things that we see. That we'll see our neighbor as you see them, not as the drunk or the alcoholic or that family that yells at each other. But Lord, help us to see them as you do, as broken people. Help us to see that guy walking down the street with a backpack begging for food or hitching a ride with somebody you care for. Help us to see the people we work with not as the obnoxious personality, as the jerk, but just somebody that needs to have Jesus Christ. And give us a heart, your heart, for Bozeman, for Belgrade, for Montana, and for Moldova that our hearts will break for this world. Lord, we give you our hearts right now. Do what you need to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Andy. Timely word for lots of us, isn't it? Uh, I haven't read... The Chronicles of Narnia for a long time, but I remember that line about Aslan that he is not safe. And thank you for bringing that to us, Andy, and uh, reminding us that following Jesus is sometimes very dangerous. But I wouldn't have it any other way, would you? Uh, I think probably most of you are aware that uh, yesterday we buried Ronnie Crow. We've been praying for her for six months. We believed with everything that was in us. We exercised every ounce of faith we had. And even though uh, she was not healed in the way that we wished for her to be healed, we know that, uh, that the fact that she passed away is not a reflection of how God feels about us. Our circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about us. He loves us. He loves Ronnie. She's in heaven with Jesus now. 
And uh, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, uh, Jesus might not make it better today, but he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. We're going to share in communion this morning and uh, remember the Lord's death and resurrection in this way. And so uh, those of you that are helping to serve, you can get ready with that. I want to lead you in one prayer this morning before we're served. Uh, I would just like to pray for you if you have not yet said yes to Jesus and you have not yet begun walking with him. Uh, We've shared at different parts of the service today, uh, even in our singing, the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins. Uh, We hear that so often, I think, sometimes it almost becomes cliche, but the truth of the matter is uh, every one of us, the Bible says, has sinned. Every one of us deserves the penalty of sin, which is death, separation from God, eternal damnation. Jesus came and he lived and he died so that he could pay the penalty for every one of us as the son of God. And when we say yes to Jesus and we receive him, uh, our sins are forgiven. We're set free from the, from the compulsion that sin has in us. And we're set free to live for God and spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, I would love to lead you in a prayer to receive him this morning before we uh, receive in communion. So uh, would you just bow your heads with me? And I'm not going to call you out or make you do anything special this morning. I just want to pray with you this morning. And, uh, and so what I'm going to ask us to do is if everyone in this room, would you just repeat a prayer after me? And if you're coming to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to him after a long time, would you pray this from the depths of your heart as all of us repeat this prayer together? And I believe that as you pray, Jesus is going to come and wipe you clean and give you a fresh start today. So would you pray this out loud with me? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. I believe you love me. I know that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose again from the grave. I believe that you're seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And I know that I am a sinner. And I can't pay for my own sin. So Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you wash me clean? Will you reconcile me to the Father and give me eternal life? And Jesus, will you change me from the inside out? Because I can't change myself. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.